0: Welcome to another episode of The Feature by World Outspoken, where we highlight ministry leaders and institutions that are creating cultural change that reflects the gospel. Uh, today's a special episode of The Feature because rather than showing an outside organization or an outside person, we're actually highlighting and celebrating someone that is known to us, someone mm-hmm. that is attributed to World Outspoken for almost a year now, actually, now that I think of it. Mm-hmm joining us as one of the first two scholars in residence that mm-hmm. we have at World Outspoken. Itzel, bienvenido.
1: Muchas gracias, Ricky. ¿Cómo estás?
0: Muy bien, muy bien. Gracias a Dios. Not enjoying uh, the beautiful scenery that you're enjoying, but, but still, <laughs> still doing well. Itzel, can you tell everyone, you're like Carmen San Diego. Can you tell everyone where you are right now?
1: Well, eh, estoy en Roma, Italia. Por el momento, eh, quien sabe la próxima semana. <laughs>
0: So you're joining us. This is really exciting. World Outspoken is adding a scholar in residence program. It's a Mm -hmm. program that is going to allow uh, scholars from different organizations or institutions, really different colleges and universities, uh, join us to contribute unique scholarship for the purpose of supporting or helping the church. Mm -hmm. And we're excited to have you doing that. Uh, You and Hermano Cartagena, who people will see his podcast, it'll come up. Within minutes of yours, but uh, you're both joining for the express purpose of doing that, and this is just the, the whole point of this is just to get to know you, to understand a little bit more about you, who you are, why you're joining the program, those kinds of things. But I thought we would start with uh, some some simple things. Uh, you are a professor of of language, and so I've been thinking a lot about this. You speak both Spanish and English. Mm-hmm. I've always said that the word aguacate sounds way better in Spanish than it ever sounds in English. Aguacate <laughs> versus avocado. <laughs> you have any favorite words in Spanish that you like? You prefer saying them in Spanish over English?
1: Eh, see, I laughed about aguacate because I don't know if you looked into the actual meaning of it. No. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say here, pero I invite the listeners to look. Look up the meaning. <laughs> Is it bad? No, it's not bad. Um, it makes reference to uh, reproductive organs. <laughs>
0: I know aguacate, the Spanish word does.
1: Sí, así es. Um, pero, pues, I, I'm not going to say anymore, like I said.
0: <laughs> I had no idea. Wow.
1: But um, of course, as a person that cares deeply about language, I love, I would say all words, right? I think language is extremely powerful. Eh, Todo se hace posible a través del idioma. Um, In Spanish, uh, one of my favorite words que viene del Nahuatl actually is um, apapachar. I don't know if you've heard it.
0: Apapachar, no, I have not. What's it mean?
1: It means to embrace or abrazar, mas bien acariciar con el alma. It's, it's a beautiful word, and um, it's one that I grew up hearing like, dame un apapacho, apapachame, tapapacho. It, it's como un abrazo with, with a lot of feeling, con mucho cariño, con mucho amor. Um, yeah, there it
0: even sounds, it right? The word has that kind of inherent feel to it,
1: exactly. So, um, I, I love it. it, it there's no real translation in the English language. I mean, we have embraced but it's a poquito distinto. Um, the familiarity of "apapachar" también, right? The fact that my family would say it, I would I say it to my son. Um, I think there's a special connection there with that word. I um, think so What I love about languages is the fact that you acquire new, not only new words. But new ways of speaking into reality, of describing your experience. And okay. I think this is this is why we should all learn as many languages as possible. For example, en in English, um, since I do travel a lot, um, I, I I often use like jet lag or homesickness, right? in no hay realmente una palabra, palabras que, que... in fact we, we often use el jet lag. ¿verdad? para right. ese sentimiento. <laughs>
0: right, yeah, no, there are words that are that are, yeah, they're better to say in English because the concept exists more clearly in English. I will say my my other favorite word to say in Spanish over English is the word sabotage, because it sounds like a comic book villain when you say it in Spanish, sabotaje. <laughs> it just so comical. Uh, so those words are fun, and then there are names that I prefer in Spanish over English, Sebastián mm-hmm. over Sebastian, those kinds of things, but It's interesting that the word you gave us, apapachar, isn't necessarily Spanish. No. Uh, You were born in Mexico, right? Mm -hmm. Tell us more about where you were raised.
1: Um, No, I was, I'm sorry, I was not born in Mexico. I was born in Los Angeles.
0: You were born in Los Angeles. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you're telling us a little bit more. You're introducing us to words that aren't Spanish. So tell us where that's from and tell us a little bit about where you were raised.
1: Right, so my experience, I wouldn't say it's necessarily unique. There's a lot of itzels in LA and all over the United States. So I was born in in LA of Mexican parents. My parents actually met in the U.S. They're of different parts of Mexico. Mi papa es de Sonora, mi mama es de Jalisco. Eh, Pero eh, I didn't have any older siblings at the time. Well, I I still don't, of course. Um, I have one sister now, but she's 12 years younger than me. Um and so there was no English spoken in my home. It was only Spanish because that was my parent my parents language. Actually I also lived with my two tías, entonces en la casa solamente se hablaba español. Um so I actually didn't learn English until I and, well actually around the 4th grade because I was placed in bilingual classes at first and then um, they removed the program, and I was I was thrown into an English only class, and that's when I I learned English. Um, even though I was born in the in the U.S., right, my first language was Spanish. Like like I would say, a lot of us. Y aprendí inglés en la escuela.
0: Yeah, that that's my story. Though I have a hard time teasing out which one came first for me, Spanish or mm. English. Uh, my, my parents were trying to teach us both at once. My mom bought. Uh, Spanish language textbooks and was trying to teach me Spanish formally, right? In addition to just like the casual things that you learn at home. Uh, how to so as a Mexican, you also know some words that are kind of Aztecian in in origin, right? I don't even know if that's the way to say that. You use nahuatl. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say it correctly. Can you say it for me?
1: Uh, nahuatl. Uh-huh.
0: So so how much um how much of that study has it, you know, studying that background and heritage has connected or, or informed the research that you do?
1: Um, regarding the influence of Nahuatl in Spanish or regarding yeah. to Spanish? So I haven't really dug deep into the influence of Nahuatl in Spanish. For example, I know that my name is Maya, es indígena. Um, it's Indigena, it's um la pronunciation original. Entonces I was always very aware of the influence que el náhuatl, los idiomas indígenas tienen in el but eh, pero nunca lo he estudiado de forma de forma w- w- which I would say um, is is unfortunate.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting because your work is is distinct, it's unique, it's very different from the disciplines that I've engaged, but all the more, it's still studying and revealing something about reality, of history, of the ways that we shape and understand the world and people. You know, how do the places that you're from shape the scholarly work that you do?
1: Well, um, let me backtrack a bit. I think when you're in school, no, aprendes about a very selective group of people that does not really represent you or your reality, and that's white Europeans. The history you're learning about, the novels you're reading, the mind models that are given to students that dictate how we should think, how we should talk, what we should talk about, even are very restrictive. Um, in fact, I was recently speaking to a Bolivian woman who told me, and eh, me dijo, bueno, toda la historia está en Europa, right? And this, this really broke my heart because-
0: Just in case, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all of our history is, is, lies in Europe.
1: Right. And so this broke my heart because she truly believed that, right? And this is what we have been made to believe that we don't have a history. Que tenemos que aprender exclusivamente de Europa. If we are serious about history, if we really want to learn history, tenemos que irnos a Europa, verdad? Que, that our history doesn't really matter. Que no cuenta. Eh, we're somos huérfanos de historia, right? Of course, we know that's not the reality. We're, we're not orphans when it comes to history. We have a rich, vibrant history, but that's what we're ma- made to believe. Um, as if learning about our indigenous ancestors, our black roots, our different cultural mixes is, is unimportant. So history with a capital H, history with a lowercase age, her stories, your stories, my stories, our stories, they're extremely important. They matter. and they're worth our, our attention because God cares deeply about these stories. So yeah. to go back to your initial question, I, my work is grounded, I would say in our stories, las que se viven día a día en lugares como Los Ángeles.
0: That's super helpful. I I, uh, I like this idea of, of connecting it to God because indeed God hasn't just shaped the, the history you know, from the reformation on as most Protestants like to talk. particularly. Mm-hmm. Protestants, but uh, it's true that God has been involved in all of human history and all of the histories that have taken shape in the various places of the world. Now mm-hmm. you're as a scholar and resident, uh, mm-hmm. you teach at Biola University. Why are you doing a scholar residence program as a way of expanding your research and and maybe informing the church? Why are you doing it?
1: So I see this as a great opportunity to be a bridge, non puente between lo que está pasando con la gente del pueblo, por así decirlo, and the work that is being produced in academic environments. Um, and I want to clarify, I'm not saying that academics have it all right, right? And that we should come in and teach all these pobrecitos, poor little people about their own life experiences. I think there has been, right? I think there has been a patronizing attitude adopted by some academics and this approach is completely wrong and reeks of colonization. Um, I am my community. I think both spaces are rich sources of knowledge, eh, but scholarly work is disadvantaged when scholars are not part of the community. Y observan desde un punto de vista externo, carrying along other biases, prejudices, and ignorance, quite frankly, right? And then they say they're experts. Um, I wanna read you something to illustrate a point, And this is from William Laval from his work titled Language in the Inner City. Um, y dice Black children for the, from the ghetto area are said to receive little verbal stimulation. To hear very little well-formed language and as a result are impoverished in their means of verbal expression. Unfortunately these notions are based upon the work of educational psychologists who know very little about language and even less about black children. The concept of verbal deprivation has no basis in social reality In fact, black children in the urban ghettos receive a great deal of verbal stimulation and participate fully in a highly verbal culture. This is from a sociolinguist. And so we need more people from our communities doing scholarly work that emerges first de nuestra condición de hijos e hijas de Dios y de nuestra complicidad y amor por la gente. Um, and I think the scholar and residence program is is mi granito de, de arena, my little contribution. Um, and I'm excited, Ricky, because la visión de World Outspoken, I think, 100% aligns with these values.
0: Yeah. I love what you said about it not being a patronizing posture. We at World Outspoken, we often say that everyone who serves at World Outspoken sees themselves as a translator, not as mm. someone stepping Stepping down from a high place, but someone is stepping in between two places and and speaking between the two, being the bridge between the two. And so instead of looking at it as the academy bringing down its insights into the community, you look at it as translating out the insights of your expertise as a linguist and your experiences as part of the community that those two things would be integrated and bridge one between the other. And so I think that 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 clarification to say, this isn't patronizing, this is about really being a part of the people.
1: Right, right, definitely. And and I love that we're building the knowledge together.
0: That's right, building the knowledge together, en conjunto, as they say, right? Así es. (laughs) Now, how is your work gonna contribute to the academy, right? So one end is to contribute to the community, but how does this Mm -hmm. contribute then to the academy?
1: Um, well, I think that again, it, it's a bridge, right? It, it's it's a give and take. it's a mutual relationship that we have between um, y, 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 you know, my ask, And I think it has been happening um, more frequently now, um, where we've had amazing uh, scholars of, of color that are you know salen de estas comunidades. right and it has to work. Um, because even a few years back, all that scholarly work that was produced was predominantly produced by by white men, right? Yeah. Uh, many times, like I, like I mentioned earlier, there's eh, una postura de que yo tengo todo ese conocimiento and I'm here to tell you about your own experiences and how you should interpret them.
0: Mm-hmm. Preach. Now, that's how it'll it'll speak to and challenge the academy. It's going to subvert some of the, mm-hmm. the historical patterns or habits of the academy because it's coming from a non-european looking at and doing work within her own community. Uh, can you tell us about how this might contribute to the church?
1: Yeah so our command is is simple right We love God and we love one another but um, pienso que sometimes uh, its simplicity escapes us y por supuesto que el pecado trabaja en contra de este mandato. Um, I would say that most people are are well-intentioned. That has been my experience many times, but many times we're not truly aware of how our actions, words, beliefs, and assumptions are working against God's command. Uh, We perpetuate these injustices unwillingly, but the intention doesn't mitigate the impact and we end up causing a lot of damage, right? So I hope that my contributions Que to expose the areas in which we have been complicit in oppressing our brothers and sisters, especially lo que se the idioma, which is my area, obviously. Um, I've noticed that in most justice oriented conversations, whether that's inside or outside uh, church circles, linguistic justice is often absent, right? And so I hope to really bring this perspective to the church. Uh, for the betterment of the kingdom of God. Um, y obviamente, I, I think it's it's so obvious that that it escapes us, right? Like language, we use it every single day. Es un aspecto primordial, importante de nuestra identidad, and yet we're not really talking about
0: it. That's absolutely right. I think that is the uniqueness of what you bring to the table, what the Lord has gifted you mm. with, what your training has brought to the table. But you're absolutely right. Our communities, we we know that storytelling, we know that identifying, right? Using words to identify. We know that naming is so important. And we know that the names that have been given to us and the stories told about us are are flawed, are broken. And yet we don't study the language that carries all of those things forward. And so I think your ability to, to speak into that, you talked about the ways in which we've been complicit, the ways that we are non-innocent, the way the mm. conquistador continues to be inside of us, right? Sí. Um, I, I think those things all are, are important and I'm grateful that you're gonna be able to help us explore those issues mm. over the next year at World Outspoken as you contribute as a scholar and resident. Now, let me ask, you talked about the uniqueness of this are there any heroes or you know models that you're looking at uh, that are gonna help you do the work?
1: Well, so there are many scholars um, who are inspiring to me and that have really pushed me, pushed the envelope, right? right. And then we sit to And But I would say that my greatest inspiration stems from the bold and courageous women of faith who are proclaiming God's worth and apologetically. So this would be like pastoras, ministers, abuelitas, mamas, tias, everyday women. Um, and those scholarly women of faith, that who are integrating their respective disciplines with biblical teachings. Um, so la gente <laughs> Siempre me ha descrito como fiery or like peleonera. I don't know if you're familiar with the term, right? Like feisty. Um, and growing up actually many people thought that I was destined to be a lawyer. <laughs> Now, maybe as a man, I would have just been well a man, um, but as a woman, I was a feisty, fiery woman. But that's a conversation maybe for another day.
0: <laughs> another language thing,
1: right? Exactamente. So, not having grown up in the church and coming to faith in my mid twenties, I thought, "Gee, I'm like, you know, super preocupada. I thought I have to to like tone it down, quote unquote, right? A Christian woman, I thought, are soft-spoken, they're meek. they're cautious, they're reserved. Um, Basically, everything that did not define me. Um, And and then a few years ago, I heard tu colega, I'm so jealous, la doctora Elizabeth (laughs) Conde-Fraser, speak at a conference. Um, she comes up to the podium con toda esa energía and assertiveness que la caracteriza, uh, talking about the santa, out of all things. <laughs> and
0: holy basically, wrath. for those
1: that don't know, it, holy wrath. And basically, she just like lays down the law, right? And I thought that was extremely empowering. Of course, her message was phenomenal, but I think her posture, the way that she carried herself. Was so liberating to me, and I don't think she knows that. <laughs> Pero, you know, aquí estaba esta gran mujer, empowered by the spirit, addressing an audience of hundreds of people, eh, sin ningún rastro de pena por ser mujer, por ser latina. And I, for me, estos estas mujeres han sido mis modelos a seguir.
0: Praise God. Thanks for sharing that. And she's going to hear it. She's going to hear this <laughs> podcast. So she'll, she'll hear that story. Um, you, you talked about that. We're, we're going a little off script here, but I think it's important for people to know you talked about coming to faith a little later in your twenties. Mm-hmm. Right. You tell us a little bit more about how you came to faith and, and that part of your story as part of this.
1: Yeah. Um, so um, I have to, again, backtrack a bit. I think growing up I was a you know, Catholic by association uh, by tradition. Eh, recuerdo que mi mamá me llevaba like a, a las mañanitas de la Virgen de Guadalupe. Um, or oh, sometimes to church, bautizos, primeras comuniones. But um, it was more uh, ese, esas tradiciones eh, sin tener esa relación con Dios, right? And so I think after a, a time, um, something happened in my family and, and my mom just all together um, Renunció a la iglesia, ¿verdad? So, ya ni siquiera íbamos a, a, a misa para, para cantar en las mañanitas a la, a la Virgen de Valope, right? Um, and I, you know, I, I lived my life not thinking much about God, not thinking much about His purpose, not, not paying much attention. And I think um, it was through actually the, the death of a family member. Um, that that I came to faith, um, and it was strange because it was uh, um, when I was in grad school at UCI, <laughs> okay. and so statistically, <laughs> I'm a statistic gone wrong, right? <laughs> right.
0: That's important. That it shows that the Lord was at work. You came to faith in grad school at a school that certainly wasn't promoting Christian a Christian ideal or narrative. So that's profound.
1: He, yes, yes, and the way He just it was transformación de un día para otro. It was it, it wasn't gradual. It just it just happened like that. Um,
0: it, did you hear the gospel at a conference, or what, what? What was that part of the story?
1: It was at the memorial service of of my family member who had passed away at a very young age. Wow. But it was it was very strange because, of course, this is a tragic, extremely sad moment, and the mom um of this family member was consoling me it was something in her as a christian woman that i had not experienced before and i did not understand and her reaction i mean like i said it was extremely sad tragic right but there was something there was that hope that now i could identify as hope right an eternal life in jesus that i was not aware of before that i didn't didn't recognize and but it, but it came like a flood of emotions over me and, and this joy that i felt even though i was sad it was it was it was odd
0: <laughs> it's, it's gospel right in the midst of death to, to find new life it is it is gospel in the most profound of mm-hmm. ways wow see it
1: Y ahí es <laughs> donde las palabras a veces sí quedan cortas to define that experience that I had. It was just, I'm, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps now.
0: Yeah, it's, it's special, sister. Um, uh, thank you for sharing that part of your story mm-hmm. as part of this. It, it obviously plays a role. It shapes your life. What are some of those other points of tension or intersection? What are those, those things, including your, your, your gospel faith, tension or intersection that you'll be addressing? from an in-between perspective, as a, as a Mestiza leader, as part of our scholar and residence, what are some of the other points of tension that you'll be addressing uh, while you do your scholar and residency here at World Outspoken?
1: Spoken? Bueno, um, lo primero, I think that it's important to understand that um, people oftentimes think that you have to be one or the other. You know, you can't be both. So you're, you're either this or you're that. And if you're not, you're not, you, you're not, you're just not, <laughs> realmente, ¿verdad? Yeah, you're, um, you're removed
0: from either place, right?
1: Right, right. Estás desterrado, ¿no? Um, and I think it's mistaken, of course, to think that you have to choose one. Es como si me dijeras that I have to choose between being a mom or a daughter or a sister or a niece. Of course not, right? I can be several things at the same time and all of those identity together make me a whole. So I have been living in the in-between my whole life as a cultural broker, a code switcher, a Mexican United Statesian. Um, the in-between has often been characterized as a fragmented space, right? Not truly one, like I said, or not truly the other, ni de aquí ni de allá, right? Pero es que yo digo, yo soy de aquí, yo soy de allá. <laughs> Yes, exactly. it's my identity. And um, I think if I was a medical doctor, I would label this syndrome the chronic dichotomization, right? We, we, decimos, esto, el otro. And I think it is a sickness this obsession to say that you're this or the other, as if my existence was a contradiction. Like I know that I'm both. Um, and I think a metaphor that has really helped me put things into perspective. I heard it a long time ago actually, but recently I have been reflecting on this. And it said, you know, what happens when you mix blue and yellow? Well, the color green is born, not el verde, right? And I I think that's me. That's us, somos somos el verde, pero también somos el azul y también somos el amarillo. Um, I think it took me a long time to feel comfortable in this space, And I don't think it's because it's inherently faulty or problematic, but because of how people interpreted it. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, we have been mixing desde nuestra creación. No no somos bichos raros, somos la herencia de Dios.
0: That's right. Somos la herencia de Dios. Preach that word, sister. (laughs) Hey, we are excited that you're joining us, that you're a part of our team at World Outspoken, that over the next 12 months, you're going to be producing unique research and writing for us you're also going to be helping us with a course that we'll be launching in the fall and so we're, we're really excited for all the projects that you'll be contributing especially as a linguist um we we don't often think about the virtues that undergird mm-hmm. our work right you know virtues of peace of kindness or those kind of things you know if you had to name a, a virtue or a set of virtues that you say are going to really drive the way that you contribute to world outspoken As a last Mm -hmm. word, what would those virtues be?
1: Well, primero, and this ties into what I mentioned earlier in our conversation, is humility. I think knowing that I will never know it all, right? Que la palabra expert no debe confundirse con un conocimiento total y eterno de alguna cosa o de todas las cosas. That I also have limited perspectives and blind spots. Um, I think a humble posture is, is a wise posture. Um, it, it That's actually what enables me to continue learning, what keeps my heart open and helps helps me acknowledge when I'm wrong. So first and foremost, I would say humility. Um, otra virtud muy importante, especialmente en el tema de language learning. And um, of course, biblical is hospitality, right? So, Hospitality, I think about it as, like, an apapacho, um, you know, que conlleva ese abrazo, pero esos también. It means that you have space in your heart, in your arms to receive other people. Con su idioma, right? With their language, with their culture. Um, and... I once heard this this quote that said uh, that distance brings suspicion and proximity brings empathy. And um, I think it was really helpful in understanding this concept of hospitality because suspicion, of course, doesn't make for a health, for healthy human relationships, right? And empathy is is necessary to, to love one another. Um, entonces, creo la humildad con, la hospi- con hospitality. And then finally, of course, love, right, which obviamente is the foundation of all the virtues, um, a, lo- a love for God and your neighbor. It definitely has to be the driving force. If not, your work becomes self-serving.
0: Amen. I want to name a few of the things that you've mentioned throughout. You've mentioned hospitality. You've mes- mentioned humility, love. You mentioned hope, you mm. your own story. Right. You tied all of this together in that one helpful word you gave us, an apapacho. Did I say it right?
1: See, <laughs> si. there you go. <laughs> uh,
0: I think that that's profound. And so, as we do this work, we are embracing our community, and we're we're embracing it with all of who we are, including our academic expertise. Thank you, sister, for for bringing that to World Outspoken and for caring about the church and your people, such that you're going to be um, doing the work collaboratively with for, and by the community.
1: Amen. no, gracias a, a ti, Ricky. Gracias a, a todos los que nos están escuchando, our listeners. Um, I'm excited to do this work alongside all of you in conjunto, no, como decimos.
0: Yes. Well, thank you, sister. Well, that's it for us. You can check out more about Itzel and her work on the Scholar in Residency page. It's linked on the show notes here. And stay tuned for more contributions and more research produced by her at worldoutspoken.com. On that note, nos vemos.